Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Edward James Olmos, better known as Admiral Adama, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Welcome. Don't forget, this is the best podcast on the internet. So say we all. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. So say we all. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, and now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 76, and I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles B. McLaughlin. And welcome to the Diner Night, everyone that's joining us. Man, we've been having a lot of good times, a lot of good discussions on Facebook, and a lot of good discussions on Twitter, and we just so appreciate you guys. Thank you for coming and hanging out at the Diner with us. It's been a good time. It's been a wonderful time. Well, we're doing some different things tonight. We decided that because of all the listener feedback, we're going to be shoving that into a separate mini episode that we're going to air probably a few days after this episode airs. Or maybe I'll put it out before. I'm not sure yet. But um, So we're going to try recording that after we're done with the show here. So if you don't hear your feedback, don't worry. We're going to get to it. We do, we do appreciate talking about that, but we just aren't going to do it right now. And hopefully it'll streamline the show a little bit and make the news, the news. Right, Miles? Am I making sense? Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, why don't we launch into uh, the, uh, before we even start, we have a listener question. Now, some of you may not be aware about it because it was kind of embedded in the show. We kind of decided, oh, this is a good listener question. And we posted on Facebook, got tons of response. And by the way, if you haven't checked out facebook.com backslash sci-fi diner, check it out. Join the fan, uh, the, 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 I guess the fan page and jump into some of the discussions we're having. But Miles, what is our listener question this week? We asked last week, how important is science fact in your science fiction? And let me just tell you, it really spawned a huge discussion. Oh yeah, we have people on all sides of the issue. Our goal, and I don't know if this is going to happen next week, we will be discussing this question either next week or the following week. We will, we're, we're looking at getting some people on here, some authors on here, some people that are in that are you know notables in the science fiction world, just to comment and talk about this. And we'll be discussing your viewpoints and your thoughts along the way. And it is absolutely, absolutely going to be a really rollicking good time. So it will be absolutely way cool. All right, Miles. Well, on the menu tonight, we have... We have the second part of our Edward James almost. Uh, it's our part two of the interview, and I hated cutting it off in the middle. But man, what a good interview that we had last week, wasn't it? Oh, it was fabulous, and uh, the man was just extremely generous with his time. That we had to make it two parts. It was just uh, yeah. You're you're not only getting you know uh, quality as and his quality interview, but you're getting quantity also. Yeah, and by the way, Miles, you were telling me earlier on when we t- chatted about it, that you got chills listening to it again, right? I did. It was just um, maybe I'm just being too fanboyish, but yeah. um, nothing wrong with that. But just uh, no, hey, that's that's our that's our business. Yeah. But uh, it was just uh, 
just hanging out in a room with uh, the Admiral himself, talking about Battlestar Galactica and what it meant, and uh, it was just it was just really cool. Yeah, we had listener feedback, but as we said, we're going to do that separately. We have our Battlestar Galactica trivia. This is the second week for it, which means we give you the answer next week. Uh, we're going to talk about Stephen King. The Dark Tower is coming to TV, so we haven't had Stephen King. King series ever, I don't believe. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Someone will correct me. Uh, we have no more heroes. We'll talk about that. Gravity movie news. If you don't know anything about gravity, we're going to tell you just a little bit about it. And who is playing Bilbo? Baggins from the Shire. We're going to talk about that. Battleship has landed a pretty big named actor. That's going to be pretty cool. We have a DVD reviews. Batman or the Red Hood. Miles is going to be giving you that. We're going to be talking about some real life science fiction. We have, if that, if that even makes sense, real-life science fiction. We have, That's another discussion for another show. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we have tractor beam technology, and it exists. Miles is going to bring you the twist. News about the sequel and the 44th, 44th birthday of Trek, along with some zombie Trek. Hey, we're going to be giving you the five top Battlestar Galactica moments, in our opinion, or at least what we came up with at the last moment, in our sci-fi five and five. And it is going to be a rocking good time. Rollicking good time. Well, Miles, why don't you take us into the trivia? Okay, we asked last time uh, what was the uh, original office that uh, Laura Roslin held uh, before she became president. And the answer is not yet. <laughs> yeah, next week. Um, the prize for this is two books, uh, the first two books in the Autumn Rain trilogy. And I just had this comment, by the way, I wanted to read this, that um, B. Harden said, it seems appropriate that you would give away books for knowing this because she doesn't lend them out because books are always a gift. You know, she's, uh-huh. he, she uh, and can't say anything more than that, but it does play into the answer. That's a big hit. That's it. That's an excellent observation. Excellent. Yeah, beautiful. Bihar, props to you. Props to you. Tons of people answered this, and uh, there's still a week to go, and we have tons more. So there's going to be a lot of people vying for this competition. A lot of people know this answer. There's a lot of BSG fans out there, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I believe that's it. It seems, wow, it seems god-awful short without um, actually you know, uh, putting the listener feedback in their miles, <laughs> doesn't it? It, it does. but um, <laughs> feels a little bit empty, but we're going to get to it. We love the listener feedback, as we said. Well, let's move into some of our promos for tonight. We're going to do something a little bit different here, Miles. We're going to play the first promo that is non-science fiction. In fact, this is not a podcast promo at all. And this is actually for a charity. Now, one of the things that, Miles, you and I have commented on about when we go to science fiction conventions, we're really impressed with all the different fans that try to raise money for charities, right? Right. This is a charity working in Haiti. And in an effort to full disclosure, this is a charity that's been done that is being headed up by my wife. And it's in uh, she's she's working along with another university and they are looking at putting the first satellite university into Haiti. So to give give people of Haiti an education, get them a two year degree and then link them into the job force. And so that's kind of what this promo is about. The, the organization is called the Haitian Connection Network. If you get a chance, make sure you check out HaitianConnectionNetwork.org. I, I, no, I, I'm very impressed with what your wife is doing uh, to, to uh, not only raise awareness of, what, uh, of, of the needs in Haiti, but actually doing something that will make a difference in, in Haiti's future in the long run. I mean, uh, getting some of these, these people in education and uh, the, the old proverb of, 
you know, you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, you teach a man a fish, he eats a lifetime. And just what a tremendous opportunity just to help, you know, not, not just give them a leg up, but, you know, help, help them be self-sufficient in the long run. And uh, something that'll help their country, you know, in the long run is just that they, they have a viable skill and I, I can't, I can't say enough good things about yeah. it. Well, you know, and we're all about science fiction. Don't be wrong. But, uh, you know, I said, you know, my wife and I were talking about, it, and I said, sure, I'll play it on the show. And it makes sense that, you know, if you, if you can support either through thoughts or just, you know, if you can give anything great, but no obligation, just want to share a little bit about what's going on in my wife's life. So this is the Haitian connection network promo. Who can forget Haiti? January 2010. The earthquake rocked this impoverished Caribbean nation late this afternoon. It is just complete devastation. This is downtown Port-au-Prince. 28 of the country's crumbled universities still lie in ruin. We have information just coming in from all different sources that basically indicate that there's a huge displaced population of students right now. But there is hope. The Haitian Connection Network is opening Haiti's first distance center location, offering qualified students an American-based university education. Here, our students earn degrees in computer science or business administration, and with the assistance of HCN, are connected to job opportunities in Haiti. My name is Brandy. I am waiting to pursue my dream of a degree in computer science. Students like me are waiting now. We need people like you to partner with us and invest in these students, the future of Haiti. Find out more about the Haitian Connection Network and how you can give by visiting HaitianConnectionNetwork.org. HCN, the Connection Network, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Well, we have tons of news we got to get going through. So, Miles, why don't we just get going, right? Now, let's, what, let's do it. Yeah. So, what we've done is we've broken this into. If you're unfamiliar with the show or you're new to the show, we've taken TV news, movie news, we have even some DVD news, a review, and we have some other news, and then we have this week in track, and that typically makes the center segment here. So, let's start off with some TV news. Universal recently announced they landed Stephen King's Dark Tower series and plans an unprecedented feature network TV adaption. So what this title sounds like, at least, and we're going to find out in a moment, is they make it sound like they're going to have a feature film and then there's going to be a network tie-in. Doesn't that sound like that? Yes. Mm -hmm. So here is the new story as it plays out. Universal Pictures and NBC Universal Television Entertainment have closed a deal to turn Stephen King's mammoth novel series, A Dark Tower, into a feature film trilogy and a network TV series, both of which will be creatively steered by the Oscar-winning team behind A Beautiful Mind and La Da Vinci Code. Ooh, those are some meg hitters there. Ron Howard is committed to direct the initial, the initial feature film, so the first one, as well as the first season of the TV series. When was the last time that Ron Howard did a TV series, I wonder? I don't know. Ron Howard is committed to direct the initial feature film as well as the first season of the TV series that will follow in close proximity. Akiva Goldsman will write the film in the first season of the TV series. Howard's Imagine Entertainment partner, Brian Grazer, will produce with Goldsman and the author. When the deadline revealed that April, in April that Howard Goldman and Gazer planned to team with King, Universal was battling Warner Brothers, home of Goldsman Weed Road for the property. The multi-platform deal was 
So comprehensive, it took months to close. It will be announced later today by Universal Pictures Chairman Adam Fogelson, Co-Chairman Donna Langley, NBC Universal Television Entertainment Chairman Jeff Gaspin, and NBC and Universal Media Studios Primetime Entertainment President Angela Bromstead, all of who pulled it together. So basically what we have here is the Dark Tower trilogy being pulled into a film and a network television series all at the same time, a film trilogy and at least a season of the TV episodes. Miles, have we ever had something like this happen before? I'm trying to recall. I, I don't. I don't think so. It's. Uh, it's it sounds like a very original idea. It does. You know, this series, by the way, if you aren't familiar with Dark Tower, is considered to be King's answer to J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth trilogy. The Dark Tower revolves around Roland Deshin, the last living member of a knightly order of gunslingers, and humanity's last hope to save civilization that will crumble unless he finds a Dark Tower. Howard and Goldsman describe the world as an alternate Americana, one part post-apocalyptic and one part Sergio Leone. So I don't know, Miles. I think this sounds like a pretty cool idea. First of all, it seems innovative, but I don't know. I haven't read the series. The idea of kind of be old, it's the old West meets meets uh, Middle Earth. It definitely sounds intriguing. Well, and plus it has a little bit of the sci-fi element because it's kind of post-apocalyptic, isn't it? So I'm excited about it. Uh, got some not so good news for you. Uh, no resolution for Heroes fans. TV movie for wrap up the series is dead. NBC will not be moving forward with a television movie wrap up of the series as previously thought. Show creator uh, Tim Kring had hoped to bring closure to the fourth season series. Uh, no official word from NBC as to why the project was killed, but logistically, it became harder and harder to reassemble the original cast for this project. That's Kring talks about the possibilities of continuing the Heroes brand. The Heroes brand is an extremely broad premise. It was a premise about ordinary people and undisclosed number of people all over the world who are waking up to those extraordinary abilities. Any number of stories could happen around that. We never posited a single ending or a single premise. It wasn't about getting off of an island or stopping somewhere from something from happening. We told stories in volumes that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. These volumes could go on and on and on with many different characters. As a result, the Heroes universe is something that could be tapped into again in many ways. Uh, Kring did sell NBC a script for the 2010-11 season called uh, Three, about a third world war involving the invasion of the United States, but did not progress past the developmental stage. Heroes was canceled this past May. Yeah, not entirely surprising, Miles. No, and, and I mean, I, I watched Heroes from beginning to end, but... I'm not disappointed that they're not having a wrap-up movie. It just uh, it, it had its moments, but had but but unfortunately, that's what it was was moments. Well, you know, he says something very interesting. We never posited a single ending or a single premise, and I'm wondering if this wasn't part of the issue with the show. Is it felt like you weren't sure where it was going? It felt muddied. There were so many characters. Okay, sure, he did it in volumes, but it just felt like. We were set up for something, and then it wasn't followed through with. And I think maybe the fact that we didn't have a clear-cut direction for the show, that that may, may, maybe was a fault. Agreed. I, that's one thing I think. The show lacked direction after the second season. Um, and maybe it was just too many, too many characters, I think. There was just so much going on. Uh, it just didn't have a real good flow, I think. Yeah. So uh, if you want it, it says that they might be do it in print form, like comic book form. So maybe that's the only solace that you hero fans will get. But I think mm -hmm. most of the people I talk to are ready to move on. That's at least, at least in my crowd. If you feel differently, it's fine. But that's our crowd, at least. 
Well, Miles, let let's it move, die. Yeah, let it die. Let's move into some movie news here. Natalie Portman was offered the lead role in a sci-fi film called Gravity. Haven't heard of this movie? Well, let's talk about it a little bit. Hot in the heels of some passionate festival buzz for her turn in the upcoming ballet film Black Swan. Natalie Portman has reportedly been offered the lead role in the Warner Brothers 3D drama Gravity, according to The Hollywood Reporter. The 80 million film, which is being directed by Alfonso Curano, Children of Men and You Two Mama... T- uh, y- y tu mama tambien, is a survival story about a woman who is stranded on a space station and her attempts to return home to Earth. The role was previously turned down by Angelina Jolie and Scarlett Johansson and Blake Lively. Oh, and Scarlett and Johansson and Blake Lively were later rumored to be competing for the gig, but Gurion has now reportedly offered the part to Portman without requiring the actress to do a screen test. Portman is expected to make a decision soon after reading the latest version of the script. Robert Downey Jr. has already signed on for a supporting role in the movie, which is scheduled to shoot early this next year. So that doesn't really give us too much about the movie, but what do you think of this, Miles? Um, it's so it has an interesting premise. Um so, I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to see when they start coming up with more information and maybe a, a trailer. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr., a huge fan, obviously, because of the Iron Man, mo- Iron Man movies. So, and, and also in uh, Sherlock Holmes, loved him there. So I'm obviously interested because of that. Natalie Portman, give or take, but hey, who doesn't want to see Padme in something? Okay, Miles, well, let's move into our next piece of news. And by the way, if Miles sounds a little bit different, we just switched him from Skype to uh, his phone because we've been having all sorts of Skype help tonight. Oh my, yes. Yes. Okay, so go ahead. (laughs) In other movie news, MGM is trying again to get Martin Freeman to play Bilbo. Here's a quick one-on-one of the recent Hobbit rumors. Martin Freeman, who plays uh, Dr. Watson in BBC's Sherlock series, which was allegedly offered the role of Bilbo Baggins, but turned it down, though no one was sure if anything really happened. Today now it looks like it happened, but there's certainly a very good chance he'll end up playing Bilbo after all. Here's what Entertainment Weekly found out about the situation. Yesterday, the British newspaper, The Sun, ran a story saying that uh, Martin Freeman, also known Tim from the original UK office, had to decline an offer and a seven-figure payday to play Bilbo Baggins in Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies due to a scheduling conflict. The actor was already committed to shoot the BBC series Sherlock, in which he plays Dr. Watson. That's all true, but according to sources close to the Hobbit production, it's not over yet. New Line and MGM, the studios backing the Hobbit films, have since come back to Freeman with a proposed schedule that would allow him to shoot both projects. All parties are currently negotiating a deal. From uh, our point of view, this is great news, as we love uh, Freeman and Sherlock. I think he's a great actor. They're making an excellent build, and definitely, he definitely has that uh, Hobbit look in a good way. So I don't know. What do you think of this, Miles? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not familiar with Martin Freeman so much, but I mean, it... it I'm, I'm just surprised it's taking so long to get this Hobbit uh, movie um, project off the ground. It does seem like it's been taking an immense amount of time for this to happen, but uh, I'm just glad there's still talk of it. And, uh, you know, this guy has some reputation uh, around him and has been in the, the BBC office. And I did not watch the BBC office, but hey, I trust that if Sci-Fi Wire is saying this is going to be good, it's going to be good. So I love what Hearn said about it when I when I tweeted this was happening. Hearn said, "What Morgan Freeman to play Bilbo? Can you imagine Morgan Freeman doing it?" <laughs> no, not at all. No, it'd be like the voice of God playing Bilbo, right? Because that's what you know. I, when I think of Morgan Freeman's voice, it has that you know that whole uh, March of the Penguins type of voice. But 
All right. Well, we, in other movie news, we have Liam Nielsen coming aboard Battleship. Now, we haven't talked about the Battleship movie for a while, but we did mention it, what, about a year ago, Miles? Yeah. It's been a little bit. Actor Liam Nielsen, it just keeps landing roles in Hollywood, having now joined the cast of the in-production film Battleship. The sci-fi film is ready in production and is set for release on May 18, 2012. The sci-fi project is an adaptation of the popular Hasbro board game by the same name. In the film, an international naval fleet is gathered together to defeat an invading alien armada. Liam, uh, Liam Nielsen will join the cast of the film in the role of Admiral Shane. Peter Berg is directing the film for Universal. Nielsen has been very busy since the surprise success with Taken. He can be next seen in the films the next three days in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But I don't know. Someone was joking at lunch today when I was talking about this movie, and they said, what are they going to yell? B-12, B-12. Ah, you sunk my battleship. You know there's got to be some homage to the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just not going to be the same without it. Uh, and I actually like Liam Nielsen when he was in the A-Team. I thought that was a pretty good role. You didn't see the A-Team yet, did you? Unfortunately, I haven't, but I really want to. Yeah, the other way, I, the other thought I had about um, this whole Battleship movie is that they could, they could do it like Jumanji, right? Where like they move the dice and it affects the world around them or something like. Uh, or maybe a little like Ender's Game. Are you familiar with the story of Ender's Game? Not at all. Okay, well, in Ender's Game, this kid is playing this game. Ender's, Ender's playing this game. Um, what he doesn't realize is that the game is actually affecting the real outcome of the world war. Well, I finally got a little bit of Pirates news. Um, uh, there has been much information about director uh, Robert Marshall's Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tide movie, but what's playing uncovered a few details about how the opening scene will play out. Uh, this is a minor spoiler. Uh, film opens at night. Spanish fisherman spots something in the water, a shape. He fishes out what he soon discovers is the body of an ancient sailor. The boat's captain rushes over for a look, and before he can make his assessment, the, the thought dead sailor's eyes open. Sailor grabs captain's arm, fades out. The captain and his aide then, ar then arrive at the regal re residence of King Ferdinand with said body, who informed the royal that the not-so-dead sailor claims to have sailed on a vessel belonging to a ship of uh, Ponce de Leon, who died 200 years ago. Ferdinand's first thought is that the sailor had found the legendary fountain of youth. He orders the Spaniard to hit the seas in search of it. Now, the last two films in the series weren't particularly well-received. This one gives the series a new life with a different director and addition of Ian McShane and, and Penelope Cruz to the cast. We hope so anyways. So uh, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, on Stranger Tides hits theaters uh, May 20th, 2011. So a little bit over half year away. I don't know. It's a movie I will probably see. I don't know if I'll see it in theaters. It may depend on how the trailers look. Yeah, it, 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 it sounds like, well, the opening sounds got me interested at least. Yeah, so uh, hopefully we didn't spoil it too much, but that is it. Well, that's it for movie news, right? That, that's it. Let's move into some DVD news, and you have a review you're going to give us about Batman. Well, uh, I recently ran off Netflix, um, uh, uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. It's produced by Bruce Tim, who put out Justice League of the TV show uh, a few years back. And in recent years, uh, the straight-to-DVD movies, um, at, they're, they're all animated. They're based on um, a, a lot of it's on, on some of the older DC comics. And uh, this, this takes um, from DC comic back in the late 80s about, this is where the story, I don't want to give too many spoilers away. If, if you enjoy Batman, if you enjoy uh, the comics, you will definitely enjoy this. I encourage you to rent it. Just be forewarned, uh, it's, it's probably the most intense animated Batman movie you're ever going to see. Uh, very high body count, not necessarily graphic violence, but just um, 
uh, very intense. Uh, not Joker, for, not, not for kids. I, I would definitely not, definitely, definitely not for kids. You're right. Um, I see if, if it if it makes it to TV, they're going to have to do some, maybe edit it down a little bit. But um, it was still very enjoyable. Uh, Bruce Greenwood, uh, who was Captain Pike in the last Star Trek movie, and has done tons of other stuff. He voices Bruce Wayne in Batman. Uh, Jensen Ackles uh, from um, uh, Supernatural. Uh, he, uh, he is the voice of the Red Hood. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, um, uh, maybe better known as Doctor Horrible. Um, he, he is the voice of uh, Nightwing. Oh well, it's, uh, that sounds like it at least has a decent cast behind it. Yes, and so I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, if, if you if you enjoyed the uh, any of the animated um, material coming from uh, the folks from Justice League, or, uh, I encourage you to get this one also. Well, very cool. We're excited about that. I'm going to have to check that out. I didn't check that out yet. I've been watching some other Batman stuff and Superman stuff with my son, but not that one. They had a little bit of information about their newest project. It's called um, uh, Superman Apocalypse. So uh, there'll be a new uh, Superman uh, animated movie coming out, uh, uh, I think, later this year. Well, I'm excited about that. That's going to be fun. Yes. Well, in other news, this came through from Bionicast, and this is a this is news that is not science fiction, but maybe science fiction becoming a little bit of reality here. A major breakthrough in tractor beam technology. It is now possible, Miles, to move a tiny bead of glass, as I'll have pictured in the show notes, five feet using just laser beams. We may not be tractor beaming humans into spaceships yet, but this is a huge step forward for the technology once called science fictional. For years, scientists have been using light tweezers or lasers to move bacteria short distances but this new device is far more powerful moving an object hundreds of times bigger than bacteria several feet now the australian national university researchers have a new device that is much more powerful inside science reports this device works by shining a hollow laser beam around a tiny glass particle. The air surrounds the particle, heats up, and while the dark center of the beam stays cool, the particle starts to drift out of the mi- out of the middle and into the light into the bright laser beam. The force of the heated air molecules bouncing around hitting the particle surface is enough to nudge it back to the center. A small amount of light also seeps into the darker middle part of the beam, heating the air to the one side of the particle and pushing it along the length of the laser beam. If another such laser beam is lined up in the opposite side of the beam, the speed and the direction the particle moves can be easily manipulated by changing the brightness of the beams. Unfortunately, the technique doesn't work in a vacuum, so we won't see this deployed in space anytime soon. But the researchers say they could definitely move the beads further than five feet. Though a great deal more research needs to be done before we have the concrete application for the tractor beam. So, man, this is cool, Miles. This is extremely cool. I mean, uh, I, I could definitely see this evolve into, uh, you know, maybe not in our lifetime, but, um, you know, what we know as tractor beams from, from science fiction uh, shows and movies. Yeah, well, you just look at the breakthroughs we made in the past 40 years. I mean, coming up in the twist, we're going to be talking about, you know, what's been 44 years since Star Trek hit the, the screen and how much we've advanced since then. And if, if the speed of our advancements in the world continue, man, I can just only hope to see some of these things come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Maybe the military might see what, what they can make use of this. Oh, the military always loves this stuff. Miles, take us into the twist. This week in Star Trek. It was in the 
particular issue of uh, SFX Magazine, uh, published in the UK, J.J. Uh, Abrams, Robert Orsi, and Alex Kurtzman discuss what may or may not happen in Star Trek uh, um, 12. I hate this news, Miles, because you know what? What may or may happen, they just keep leaving us hanging. They're just dangling carrots. For that. They're salivating us, right? Yep, and, and I keep chasing it. Um, yeah, yeah, you I, do. I know. As he did when Star Trek Eleven was being made, Abrams didn't go into specifics concerning the sequel, but note that there was much potential in Star Trek universe from which to draw. The universe that Roddenberry created was so vast, he said, it's, always, it's, it's hard to say there's one particular thing that stands out what the sequel must be, which is, on the other hand, a great opportunity. On the other hand, it's the greatest challenge. Where do you go? What do you focus on? But I'm incredibly excited about the prospects. Uh, Kurtzman and Orsi have spoken in the past with the possibility of having Khan in the sequel, but spoke about other options. Introducing a new villain in the sequel is tempting because we now have this incredible new sandbox of plans in Orsi. On the other hand, some fans really want to see Klingons, and it's hard not to listen to that. The trick is not to do something that's been seen before just because you think it'll be a shortcut to likability. More can be found in SFX magazine, including an article which Leonard Nimoy says farewell to Spock. More information on the, on the contents of this issue can be found uh, there, and uh, also as well as subscription information. Yeah, we'll put links uh, in the show notes for that. And uh, recently, uh, Star Trek celebrated their 45th birthday, and uh, this is just a brief look back. Um, uh, Star Trek, uh, and I hope no uh, hyperbole here, it has changed the world, but no one could have seen it coming on uh, September 8th, 1966, when the original series kicked off with the uh, episode The Man Trap. So much of what is commonplace today was introduced, glimpsed, inspired, and at least hinted at by Star Trek. And yes, before you say it, we now know that sci-fi existed before Star Trek. Still considering the following. The faces of color, people of all nationalities in space, race relations were at their worst around the time Star Trek debuted. And yet series creator uh, Roddenberry envisioned a future in which an African-American and a woman, no less, would assume major responsibilities aboard a starship. Michelle Nichols beautifully embodied the role of Lieutenant O'Hara in spying countless people of color to achieve their dreams. O'Hara would also factor into a groundbreaking moment as she and Captain Kirk lock lips in television's first interracial kiss. Later during the season two of Star Trek and at the height of the Cold War, when the concept of American and Russian astronauts traversing galaxy together was truly pure science fiction, the show introduced the character of Chekhov. Yet another uh, uh, canny, uh, progressive bit of forward thinking. Uh, flip phones. You may be reading this article on your flip phone right now, and if you are, you have a legendary Star Trek communicator to thank for that. Uh, PDAs and iPads. Captain Kirk filed his uh, regular captain's log on a device. Uh, think of an electric, uh, electronic clipboard that remarkably similar to the PDA, so familiar to us all today. Perhaps even more uh, uh, present with the Star Trek uh, next-gen pad, uh, personal access display device, which could be easily used with that uh, iPad being sold at the Apple Store around the corner from you. Uh, the Bluetooth. Uh, let's bring it, Lieutenant O'Hara back into conversation. Sure, her earpiece might resemble corn holders, but they and their open wireless technology concept also set the stage for the Bluetooth and all its subsequent incarnations. Needle-free injections. Uh, Dr. McCoy and the Enterprise medical team have had no need for needles. Instead, they use hypospray. Sure, some docs today still use the handy-dandy needle, but now the, there are, are needle-free alternatives, including the Glide SDI or uh, PharmaJet uh, 0.5 mil, uh, millimeter device. Uh, automatic doors. You probably don't even think about twice about it now as you walk through those doors that open as you approach. But those funky wishing doors on Star Trek were the precursor, right? Right? Uh, view screens. Have you looked at your TV lately? Enough said. Phasers? Well, tasers, anyone? 
okay, now it's your turn. What elements of Star Trek do you think have impacted the world? Socially, scientifically, gadget-wise, we live in today. Bring it on and bring on the debate. And uh, I want to thank our friend uh, Chris uh, from Subspace Comms for uh, uh, this article. Yeah, by the way, I was not aware that Chekhov didn't come into the second season. Yeah. I always assumed he was there from the get-go. So it shows you how much I've watched original Trek and paid attention, right? <clears throat> We've had that discussion before on the show, so you know that. But so, some good stuff that Star Trek has brought up, no, no doubt. Oh, right. Oh, right. So, and and, and we, one more piece of uh, uh, news. Yeah, if um, we'll, we'll post uh, this link in our show notes, but um, if you could look it up yourself after hearing this, if you want, uh, on YouTube, um, uh, there's a video called uh, "Night of Living Trekkies," just sort of a, a bit of a spoof parody of uh, um, of zombie movies uh, and Trekkies at a at a Star Trek convention. Um, just a little bit of fun there, so. Uh, I watched it. I thought it was funny. I think you might like it, too. Yeah, well, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing all of that and your twist. Some good information there. By the way, did you see the uh, Zoe Zadana uh, commercials that came through Twitter? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I was gonna, I'm, I'm just going to mention them there, and you can go look them up if you're listening to this and really interested in it. They, uh, they're a Calvin Klein underwear commercial. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> 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 so... Uh, um, I will. I, I probably won't post uh, the videos in the show notes, but uh, if you want to go look it up, they're out there. Well, let's move into our last promo for tonight, and we're going to be playing the promo from the Signal Podcast. Yes, I know we played the Signal Podcast promo in one of our last two shows, but this is a new promo for their latest season that they have. And if you are a fan of Firefly, this is a podcast you've got to check it out. Here is the Signal. Eight years on from Firefly, five years on from Serenity, you still can't stop the Signal. Striding like a colossus into the new decade, conquering new... Ah, that's a little over the top, don't you think? Well, I guess, but he's right. We're still here. Just not quite so much with the striding. Walking confidently. How's that sound? Fine. Just as long as The Signal stays a podcast all about Joss Whedon's Firefly and Serenity. Oh, no question there. We're continuing to explore the verse, same as we have for the last five years. But this year, with some new crew, new articles... New interviews, new features. And a new website, a new forum, and a blog. But still at the same old address, www.serenityfirefly.com, and still coming to your MP3 player every two weeks. Plus, we've got lots of our regular segments like News from the Verse, Broadwaves, The Terraformers, and Feedback. And we want you to join us. The Signal. Helping to carry on building the Browncoat community. It, it starts, starts here. here. The Signal. Well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner. Miles, we have part two of our interview with Edward. I can't wait to listen to it. I know, it's going to be good. So we don't need to give a long, lengthy introduction here, except that, well, someone mentioned, and I'll, I'll probably mention this when we get to the listener episode, if we have time to do it, is that um, that episode 75, no, someone said Ad Admiral Adama's patch number was 75, and episode 75 is when we released the episode. Oh, I... 
that's news to me. Yeah, I don't know. I may have that wrong. Anyways, without further ado, this is from Shoreleave32, and this is part two of our interview with the Admiral himself. All stations report, sir. Connect me just to the ship. This is the Admiral. Just so there'll be no misunderstandings later. Galactic has seen a lot of history. Gone through a lot of battles. This will be her last. She will not fail us if we do not fail her. If we succeed in our mission, Galactica will bring us home. If we don't, it doesn't matter anyway. Action stations! Start the clock. Five, four, three, two, one, mark! Is there one episode or a couple episodes that, that may stand out to you? That you know? uh, The first episode was true. The, the kiss of incredible love for what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Ron was, well, uh, the first one was 33. And uh, when we dove into that, after it had been a long time after we had done the pilot, mm-hmm. the miniseries was actually maybe almost about maybe a year over a year before yeah. we got into doing the first show. <clears throat> and the very first show, 33, just threw you right into the world in such a way that, man, you never left. Boy, if you saw the miniseries and you enjoyed it and you went to episode one, you were hooked. Mm-hmm. It was over. It wasn't like you kind of said, well, I think I'll just kind of go through a couple more of these shows that you're stuck. <laughs> and it was stuck for the good and the bad of it, because you know, we didn't really get our legs until you know, towards the middle to the end of the first year. Mm-hmm. Then we kind of got our balance and then by the second year it started to grow. And third year was you couldn't stop it. Fourth year you just wanted more. And then, you know, at the end of the well it was the fourth season, but it was split into two seasons, became the fifth season, four point five season. Yeah. <laughs> became which was the last ten shows that we did. Right. Became, uh, uh, we just didn't want it to stop. And that's why everybody felt the pain. Everybody that was in the movie, that was in that world, when they split up, everybody wept. Hmm. Really, you had to be emotionally moved. There was no two ways about it. And you didn't have to maybe shed tears, but you sure in the hell had to think right. about what this whole experience had been and where you ended up. You had no idea that you were 200,000 years before the existence no. of this planet. I mean, what? what is it? Where are we? Well, we'll call it Earth. Oh, yeah. That's how Earth got its name. <laughs> that was a clever way to do it. <laughs> that was really good. Mm-hmm. You know, just like studying, you know, they're looking at, you know, <laughs> humanoids walking down the earth. They, they, they don't even have, they, well, some of the tribes have language, but we don't know how far advanced they are in the language. Others don't yet have language. You know, they had barely, you know, succumbed to some of the basic fundamentals of understanding and, and I've got to take this because the writers were fantastic mm-hmm. they really they had a good time and, and even they suffer now we said it from the beginning 
when it started to move, instead of meeting this week, the entire cast, sit down in my trailer. And uh, we would talk about, you know, this journey. And uh, it was pretty evident that it was so well constructed that you could actually, you felt and you knew. And, and everybody thought it was just incredible that, that we were able to, I was able to actually uh, chart out what was going to happen, including the lack of understanding by the uh, uh, artistry and the community of our own actors. Very few people saw the program. You know, that's where we never got an Emmy. I mean, we got it for special effects, so obviously they had to give us something because makeup and special effects were, were really doing great work, as was uh, the sound department and engineering, you know. Mm -hmm. Sound engineering, and uh, you know, so they they got the, the technical awards had to come because of the impact of what we were doing. So they all right. saw it, but I don't think that the uh, the actors took time to watch it. You know, they, I don't think they did. Uh, I don't think that uh, I don't think that we got any uh, time. The writers got nominated, but none of them ever won. Hmm. You know, and so you knew that the they people either didn't like it in the industry, you know, or they not enough of them watched it. It was interesting to see how that went. It it, it went to, and I pretty much predicted it. But what I couldn't predict was the uh, the Peabody, right? I remember the George Foster Peabody. That surprised everyone. That was like I remember when Bonnie. Hammer called me, and uh, she was um, emotional, very emotional. She was crying. She says, Eddie, since 1985, I've been trying to put out the finest documentaries that I could, the finest uh, usage of this medium that I could, you know, in hopes that somebody would recognize it. Maybe we could earn a Peabody for one of our, you know, many programs that we did on, on humanity and, and we've been trying to create that I have been trying to create and as well as creating commercial pieces of work she said you know I was really trying to to grab hold of the integrity of what it means to win a Peabody mm -hmm. and uh, never could and I'm calling you today to let you know that we got one I got a Peabody from Battlestar Galactica and she was really emotionally moved. It was amazing. When we went, we were all very proud to go. You know, it was just, it's unusual, very unusual that you got that kind of, because what the George Foster Peabody means is, is really uh, indicative of what you said at the beginning, what Time Magazine said, what people were saying about the show, that it was a very strong usage of the, great usage of the medium. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what the Peabody does. It goes around the world and looks at the way different uh, people are using electronic media, and they say thank you by giving them the highest award to bring it back. And so they'll go to Russia, they'll get, they'll go to Europe, they'll go to Africa, they'll go to Latin America, they'll come to the United States, Canada, North America, and they'll look around and they'll see what the best shows are that are being played on television and radio and now on the internet. And they then say to them, this is the best of this year. This is the best of the radio and television and internet on the 
planet today here. Boom. And that's what they've become. Remember the University of Georgia and the George Foster Peabody is now become the um, Academy Award or the Emmy. Mm -hmm. the, but to, to world usage of electronic media, mm -hmm. and that's the most prestigious award you can receive on the planet for usage of the media. So when we received it, I was, I was touched very much so. Yes, sci-fi shows don't often get... None had ever gotten that. Ever. Credit they deserve. Ever. Ever. No, it was good. Ever. Yeah. None of them ever got the Peabody. Right. So, sit back and mm -hmm. interesting. What inspiration did you draw from to give life to the William Adama character? Did you use any historical military men as inspirations, or did you, you know? No, I just took the reality base of what we experienced in my life and in the life of the people that we read about, it, you know, and uh, just, you know, just played the facts. Mm -hmm. and that's it. And then I found the music which really helped me out because I made that world come alive to me. I had to find a way of, of making it different. And Eva uh, Pramal, uh, her music, her mantras, and then the, the album of Essence, uh, and, uh, really became the calling card for me to be able to really step into this world mm -hmm. and stay there. Mm -hmm. I never left. Mm -hmm. To this day, I still play her music, along with uh, Barry McCurry's, uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful music. If you've ever seen him do it live, you flip out. His live performances of the uh, BSG Orchestra are unbelievable. People who have gotten the opportunity to see him perform live <laughs> have just been so overwhelmed. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. He's great. And all the musicians that played on on that music play with him live. Mm -hmm. wow. And so the entire orchestra is there, and I think it's about 18 piece orchestra. Wow. And it's fantastic. It's great. He's incredible, right? And I see he just, right? he just won a award for Human Target, or was up for Human Target. Yes, he's running good. For. So he definitely. Yeah, he'll that. go on to be one of the great, great, great composers of all time. He's got a good career ahead of him. Yeah, he sure does. Now, um, I've read that some of what you brought to Battlestar Galactica was a little bit of improv. Um, can you give you know example of maybe you scripts it one way, and then you and then you kind of may went into a different direction? I think the most drastic one was at the very first day of filming. Um, the uh, "So Say We All" speech was probably the one, one that most got most recognition for that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. In which um, I remember the producer David Ike holding up the telephone to, uh, as he had Ronald Moore on the line. Ronald Moore was in LA, and, and uh, we were on the stages of Vancouver, Vancouver Studio, and we were doing. And they wanted it was written so that I would be standing next to the uh, uh, spiritual leader, our spiritual leader. Right. And uh, she was uh, going to speak, and then I was going to speak right after her, and I was going to stand at a podium. And uh, I said to the director, I said, it doesn't feel organic to me at all. It doesn't feel like I would be there at that point. 
where it, it was the end of the movie. It's the end. Of, it's the beginning of the journey. It's mm -hmm. we shot the very last scene first. Mm -hmm. and the first time we ever all worked together. I think it was, might have been even maybe the first or second setup scene for of the show that mm -hmm. we were doing. So this was it. So I uh, improv improvised the location that I started from and improvised my walking through the, the bodies that were laid on the ground and where I started and what made me move, where my, my movement came from, why I was going from point A to point B, mm -hmm. how I was pushed into it and how uh, I was shocked by the lack of, of hope that everyone was exhibiting and, and how knowing full well that the, the future of humanity rested in our right there this few thousand people were stuck on Battlestar Galactica because we didn't know we had a rag, ragtag fleet but it wasn't as large as, <laughs> as it was, got to be mm -hmm. and we were less than you know 50 ships then we didn't know how many ships were still still working and still out there we knew that we were in trouble mm -hmm. we had no idea if there were still people alive on the planet we found that out later but uh, so it was just a, a really difficult moment in time <clears throat> And so, the the so say we all was not written the way it was that we brought it and used it. And, and David Ike uh, held a phone up and says, uh, you, "You won't believe this." To to, uh, to Ron Moore, he held up the phone and was screaming, "So say we all, so say we all, so say we all." And it wasn't written. You all say it three times, building with enthusiasm across it, and bringing about this incredible feeling. Of, of, of triumph at the end of it, you know, giving people, you know, through this cohesive collective unity of spirit, our hope that would drive us into the rest of the movie. And mm -hmm. Believe me, that so saying, we all speech became the uh, Shakespearean moment of, of, of the piece. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I got it. I was like, everybody was kind of almost numb, and you had to. Adama had to wake everybody up, smack everybody in the face. So yeah, so, similar to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had yeah. chills when I was hearing that. Oh, all yeah. of us. I mean, when we saw the piece and when we, when we were doing it, people didn't know that they had to repeat after me. <laughs> it wasn't said that everybody says, you know, so say we all, and then he repeats it with stronger force and says, so say we all, and they finally, you know, first there's three, then there was twelve, and then there was fifty, and then I was. Hundreds, you know. <laughs> no, oh, wow. it wasn't written then. And so when it was done, the entire crew and the actors stepped into that world. Mm -hmm. Everyone stepped into that world. Everyone. Mm -hmm. PAs, everybody just sat there and just like, oh, this is amazing. And from that moment on, they changed the course of the direction of the piece. And we used it a lot. We used improvisation. Not that we would improvise to change the context of the scene. Mm -hmm. No, it was just to make the, the organic growth of the scene become honest to itself. So mm -hmm. It's just the moment to moment to hold. Right. So that people knew where they were at all times. Mm -hmm. uh, remember the first time that I directed, I directed Time Me Up, Time Me Down. What a difficult show that was because it was we were caught with a really difficult journey, and 
where Ron wanted to go, it was different than what the studio wanted to do because the studio saw that we were losing certain aspects of the clarity of, of the, they wanted it lighter. They wanted it to be more so that people could see it and, and women would like it. And it was getting too dark by the eighth show. My God, we were fighting each other in right. boxing matches and, and it was going crazy. So by, I think it was, a, it was the seventh show, I think. I think it might have been the ninth. And they, they wanted a comedy. Battlestar Galactica, the comedy. Right. We were, we were like stunned. I remember when the word came down that we were going to do a comedy. I said, if we, and I, I went to the, to the producer and said, you're really going to try to do this and I'm going to direct it. I mean, we can't let this get out of hand. You know, this is, there, uh, there are ways of being funny without ever losing where we are. Right. right. So let's just do that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's what we want to do. Okay then, let me direct it. And so I took over the, the helm and I directed it. And, uh, you know, that was that, what a great, there was some great moments in that. <laughs> Just hysterical, but they were so sad. Yeah. Right. Sad, sad, sad moments, but they were so hysterical. Because, you know, that was the great scene with the, uh, when Ellen comes back. And, and, you know, she's found. And I, she comes back and I bring her back to the, Battlestar, and there's uh, Ty standing there, and he sees his wife, and she thought, he thought she was dead, and, and, and there, we don't know how badly alcoholic they were, but they were, they were really like rubbed each other to the point of where they became one in alcoholism. Right. They were just like when they were together, they just drank and annihilated. So they're drunk out of their minds, and I invite them over for dinner. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Ellen's playing with, uh, um, you know, Lee Adama's uh, cock with her foot underneath the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I told her, I said, I want you to put your foot right What? She goes, yeah, I want you to stick your foot. You'll be laying, you'll be sitting there, you'll, you'll act normal, but I want you to put your foot. And, and Lee didn't know it was coming. <laughs> he didn't know it was coming. I was, he went. He just talk about organic. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I mean, she just put her foot right on it and put it on there, and uh, you know, and I had the cameras set up, and, and, and the cat's reaction. I didn't catch the moment where he her foot went on there because I would have given it away. But I caught what happened to him. I got that on camera, and so I, sure enough, I mean, he was just stunned. Boy, when we hollered cut. He started laughing. The whole place was just hysterics. And then, and then, of course, I told her to grab his ass when she, he bent over to pick up her shoes. And he says, here it is. And, <laughs> and so a lot of that sexuality, right, which wasn't written in Pete's, but it lent itself to this really incredible feeling about this woman. And oh my God, what a, what a, Disaster! This is going to be. I mean, not only do we have these people out in space, but we have now this. And everybody thought that she was a Cylon, and lo and behold, right? She was the right. fifth. Yeah. Nobody knew it at the time, right. and we actually started believing that she couldn't be. You know, right. <laughs> she was too human to right. be a Cylon. Right. Well, what was so great was that she, you know, yes, she was this kind of a train wreck of a character, but yeah. then when she gets Ooh. brought back, it's like she. She's still Ellen, but it's like 
she's I mean she knows what's going on she's she's you know she's intelligent uh, I mean you, you, you take her you, you know you take her seriously oh, boy, after, she's, after the revelation. she's a real serious train wreck yeah <laughs> <laughs> she really was I mean I love the scene I told her that, and I told her the, the, the uh, production designer I said I want to have uh, the ship like if it's really messed up so let's be constantly working on the ship because mm -hmm. it should look old because right. at first it looked kind of new I said you shouldn't it shouldn't be new portions of it the museum would be new because it's right. refurbished again but the rest of it would be just really mm -hmm. uh, worn out this thing that was an old battleship it was right. a new battleship it was an old one put into retirement <coughs> and the day the film starts it's into retirement becoming a museum and uh, so you know I said we'll have scaffolding all over the place for people repairing stuff and I want to have uh, Ellen climbing on the scaffolding and, and playing with Ty when she comes in and wrap her head and legs around his face and pulls his face right into her crotch and uh, then we're all what? <laughs> <laughs> and so I go, how are you going to do that? I said, you know, just put me some scaffolding. We'll figure it out. And sure enough, I told Alan, I said, you know, I told uh, Katie, uh, Kate, uh, I want you to jump up on the scaffolding and wrap your legs around his face. And I want you to crouch right into his face, you know. And she goes, oh, really? I said, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, and you guys are both wasted on your mind. You're coming out of the party. And because uh, I needed Baltar to come and see this. And that's where we got the whole face on face coming out of it, where uh, Baltar's looking at them. And then all of a sudden, right out of Baltar's face, I, I put the angle so that uh, Six's face comes right out of his face and you go, wow! And all of a sudden, I don't know where he's standing there, all of a sudden her face comes and and there's a little bit of front of his and then well, you go, oh my God, out of nowhere. You're, you're looking at it, it's done in real time, it's not a special effect. Right. And, uh, and, and they're, you know, she, she, you know Ellen had her, her legs around. Uh, it's a wonderful scene, beautifully orchestrated, beautifully done by these actors. They so good. Mm -hmm. Man, it was Kate Vernon was just a brilliant, brilliant artist, and they just went to the wall, and she had, and she was brought in. Her first scene was the drunk scene where she comes in at the very end of the movie, the very end when we're all sitting there hollering at each other. Mm -hmm. Really difficult scene to do, another really funny scene, but it was situationally funny because of the situation. It wasn't funny because we were acting funny. Just mm -hmm. timing, I guess. Yeah. Timing and situation, and it became really hysterical. And um, you know, <laughs> so anyway, we ended up doing that. And, and that, that all of those things, like trying to put humor into the backstory, was really, really very delicate, very difficult mm -hmm. because you couldn't break the reality of what we were trying to do or what really these people were undergoing. Right, never forget it. Well, tell us a little bit about future projects. You have, is the Green Hornet you in that? I have the Green Hornet right now that's coming out in January, <coughs> 3D. Seth Rogen's playing the Green Hornet, and uh, it's 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 a wonderful. I mean, people, I, I've been turned on to some of the, the negative responses to 
some of the things that uh, people are thinking about the show they haven't seen it yet. Right. But I saw. I saw that. I think a lot of us have seen the trailer now. They realize right. It's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of fun. Oh, it it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and I think Michelle Gaudry, the director, has done a wonderful job. Now, of course, you know people are always pessimistic and sad. Yeah, that's how I'm, they are, and that's great. You know, they're pleasantly surprised. I saw the trailer. I I, I, I loved it. I, lo- I loved good. it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I definitely want to see it. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I do too. <laughs> and and your role in it is a reporter that's investigating who? No, I'm I'm the uh, the old time. Uh, uh, I've been with the, the newspaper for 45 years. Okay. And I'm the head of, you know, head of the, uh, head of the newspaper. And uh, since uh, the Green Hornet's father owns the paper. Okay. And so uh, the Green Hornet, uh, Seth's character, is, is a very wealthy, spoiled little kid. Oh, yeah. And he started <laughs> off at of, uh, a very young age. How he became the way he became. It's so funny. It's hysterical. The kid that played it was just fantastic. And anyway, it goes on to uh, you. You really get to feel the uh, the how he got to be who he is. How the green one got to be. And it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. And this Cato, <laughs> uh, done by Jay Jay Cho, um, is you know. Bruce Lee played Cato on, on television in 1966. They did one season. And uh, then uh, Bruce didn't want to do it anymore because Cato doesn't talk. Cato never talked. Mm-hmm. He was always very quiet. He just went in there and fought. Whenever the Green Hornet would get into a problem, Cato would step in and boom, kick the shit out of everybody and then would not say a word. And then, you know, Green Hornet would say, if you guys ever do this to me again, you know, you're going to come back here and even do it worse to you. He didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, that, that was, that's the humor. Right. But in this case, this Cato never stops talking. So it's a juxtaposition. It's <laughs> 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 hysterical. Cato has a big mouth and he, he's constantly telling, you know, the Green Hornet what he thinks. And so it's really, I mean, it's really funny. I think people are going to enjoy it. I mean, there's always people that are not going to like anything, but, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a fun ride. ride. It's right. a real fun ride, and people are going to have a fun time. That's all. When's that going to come out? I think in January. Okay. Yeah. It should be out in the end of January. It should be good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for You're sitting welcome. down and chatting with us. You're welcome. So much. Surridge Continent. More wildlife than all the 12 colonies put together. (laughs) Just looking for a quiet little place for that cabin. Maybe a garden. I don't have much of a green thumb, so I hope that you do. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Admiral Adama, Edward James Almos, 
Wow, I'm going to miss chatting with him. Oh, yeah, I have to, but it'll be nice. We'll always have this interview. Yeah, we will have this interview and some good memories, good memories and all. And don't forget to, if you're into the trivia, we have that Battlestar trivia. And talking about Battlestar, our Sci-Fi 5 and 5 tonight is a, is a Sci-Fi 5 and 5 that we came up with, Miles, you and I came up with. And before we get into it, just going to hold off a little bit longer. If you want to give us your Sci-Fi 5 and 5, you can email them to us. We will read them on the show. You can send them via audio file. Just email them to us at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com. You can call them into us at 1-888-508-4343, and we'll play them on the show as well. There are so many ways to just kind of send those things to us. Heck, if you want to, put them on Facebook. We'll get them there. But there are many ways that you can kind of get that stuff to us. Miles, what is our Sci-Fi 5 and 5 about tonight? Well, since we are having... This great interview with the Admiral, um, we thought we would, uh, we picked five great moments of uh, Battlestar Galactica that uh, really spoke to us. And so why don't we take it away? Do, why don't you do number five? And these aren't in any particular order. These are just the five top moments that we kind of came up with. For me, one great moment was the revelation of the final five. You, it's, it's, it happens during the um, uh, trial of Baltar and uh, you hear... Uh, um, Colonel Ty, he's he's asking, you know, does anybody hear that music? And people just think this is uh, uh, Ty getting, you know, off a bad hangover or he's drunk or something. But um, no, he he's he's hearing music, and 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 there's four other people, or three other people hearing music also. And just when they all meet together, it's just, uh, whoa, it, it was just uh, quite a moment. It's pretty eerie, pretty eerie, that's for sure. Number four, this is uh, one that I contributed, and and it's one that when I saw when the, this moment hit, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" And it's a moment in the final episode, which I know there's been a lot of controversy about, but the very final episode of Battlestar Galactica, the newest series, Baltar is standing there with six window shopping in New York City, and they're watching this robot that has an uncanny similarity to one of the original Cylons. And I just remember, and it's a modern-day robot. I mean, you can see them in their real life and how uncannily similar they are. And it made me really think, are we on a track to become a Cylon nation? Uh. Number three, um, this this was um first time I've ever seen anything like this on television. The hyper jump through the planet. Uh, it's during season three when um, uh, the Galactica goes to... Uh, New Caprica to rescue the colonists from the Cylons, and they have to use some very unorthodox uh, tactics to uh, to combat the Cylons. And you see Galactica pretty much falling to this planet uh, as as they're launching the Vipers, and just seeing uh, the flames come off because of the friction, and then it jumps away, and it's just. Um, incredible moment in special effects oh yeah absolutely love that and why don't you take number two because you kind of contributed this one as well um in Battlestar Galactica Razor the movie it dealt with uh, mainly the what happened with the Pegasus and Admiral Kane but uh one thing that that really struck out of me was they brought back the uh original series looking Cylon but they were not slow and clunky like uh, they were in the original series. But they still, you know, looked the same. They talked the same. Uh, they just moved a lot faster and looked more scarier. Right. And then our number one, and uh, again, these were no particular, was the final jump of Battlestar Galactica. When when they go through the jump, it, it, the Admiral says, it's back's broken, it'll never jump again. And, you know, in the end, they fly it off into the sun, right? But what an intense jump and that that whole all along the watchtower theme that Kara Thrace is going through her, you know, she kind of initiates a jump and that's where it's at. 
So all really top moments. And hey, if you have other moments of Battlestar Galactica you want to share, oh, go ahead, uh, post them on to our Facebook fan page, or you know, email us, email them to us, or give them to us on Twitter, etc. But that's a good sci-fi five and five. Uh, it's a great one. Yeah. Well, we got to wrap up the show here, so why don't we go ahead and do that? You can always find out more about the Sci-Fi Diner by visiting the Sci-Fi Diner podcast.com. We'll have show notes there. We have videos up there. We have links to our Facebook fan page, facebook.com backslash Sci-Fi Diner. is a great place to join the community, jump into the discussions, and uh, just get involved with what people are saying and so forth. So, uh, Miles, how can they find out, uh, get a hold of you if they want to harass you? Uh, I have a Twitter account. I am Son of Wharf at Twitter. Uh, also, uh, I'm at Trek Space, uh, Son of Warf at Trek Space, and uh, also, you know, you'll find me on the on the Facebook, our Facebook fan page, also. Yeah, and uh, we're trying to identify ourselves just a bit better because we both posted to Sci-Fi Diner, which is a bit confusing, especially when we're talking about different things. So we're trying to say whether Scott or Miles are actually saying it. So hopefully, we'll clarify that for everyone. Uh, as always, we have a listener line, one 888 and you can call in, give us feedback. We appreciate all the feedback we've been getting from you guys, uh, stuff that you like about the show, stuff you want to see in the show, any shows that you're watching, any movies you're into, uh, things you just want our thoughts on. Uh, we don't claim to necessarily be the experts, but we do know a fair amount about science fiction, and we would love to discuss the things that you're interested in. Uh, so I guess that's about it, Miles. If you get a chance, leave uh, us an iTunes review. We always love those things. Okay, well, until next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Drink my wine